Welcome to Autoimmune Revolution Radio. I'm your host, Justin Janoska, clinician and founder of the Autoimmune Revolution. After watching my mom suffer with autoimmune disease, I have made it my mission and purpose to help people like you. Unlock the door to better results, regain control of your body, and feel like yourself again. I want you to become an autoimmune alchemist and get your life back. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. May you be filled today with joy, abundance, and loving kindness. Peace and love. Love is misinterpreted as an emotion. In reality, it is a state of consciousness, a way of being in the world, a way of seeing oneself and others. Hey everyone, welcome back to Autoimmune Revolution Radio. I am super excited for you to be here with me today. And I really love that quote that I read recently because that is something that I've been practicing myself recently. And it's a question that I raise to a lot of clients and everyone I work with, actually. And that is, what would infinite love do? And that's something you can ask yourself when you feel like you're in a predicament. And it, there's a lot of depth to this, but I think the gist of it is that when we can get out of our own state of ego and ourself for a moment and drop into infinite love and pure awareness, you're taking action from a different place. There is more wise action. There is more of a calmness, presence, composure, equanimity that's there, that's embedded in that. And it doesn't mean you're going to be that all the time, but this is why we do the work. This is why we do the practices of meditation, yoga, qigong, and whatever it is that helps you get into that place. And the more times you can be there, the better off you'll be. Because then when the world gets crazy as it is, and things happen unexpectedly, and you feel like you're falling through the cracks, you can drop into this. And that's a, it's a really profound uh, relearning and conditioning that has to happen that takes a lot of time. I'm not fully there, I can promise you that, but I can feel myself accessing it more times than not. And so think about that for yourself. You are pure love. That is the, the thing that threads through all living things, all consciousness actually is really that. And so I hope that gives you something to reflect on today. And it fits nicely with our topic today because if we're going to talk about today on how to support someone with trauma, well, infinite love and what I just talked about is, is, is really the essence of what we need. So I, I thought of this recently because there are many people I work with who not only struggle with trauma, but they are dealing with people in their lives who are also dealing with trauma and health issues. And we also need tools, not only for ourselves, but to help others. And you may not expect yourself to be in a position where you're helping someone with trauma. It's not about that, right? You might think, well, I'm not a psychotherapist, I'm not a counselor, so why do I need to know this? It's not about that. It's actually about how to support someone who's in pain. Really, you might 
say it's that more so than trauma. I call it whatever you want. <clears throat> but when you're with somebody who's dealing with a loss, grieving, is in immense pain, a lot of suffering for whatever reason, we can be there as a refuge, as a resource. And that is the most invaluable thing. People ask me all the time, like, what do you do? What therapies do you do and techniques for trauma and whatnot? Which matter, but honestly, at the end of the day, it is the relationship. I've talked about this in another episode, I believe. But it's a, it's a big misconception because the real healing in medicine is the therapeutic relationship you have with somebody. Just like a mother is there for the child, the mother can do things, say things, but it's the nonverbal communication, it's the intangible energy that's there, the felt sense of love and connection that actually is, is most powerful. So there are four key concepts I want to outline for you today about how to, things to consider when you're working with somebody who's in pain. And again, even if you aren't a professional, you can still do your part in being a reliable support system for another. It's a, it's a very important tool because, and thing for us to remember, because a lot of us don't feel like we're equipped maybe or even have the desire to help somebody uh, because we're afraid, we don't want to make it worse, those sort of things, we, those objections we have. So I really want to encourage you to embody this and to really embrace it and bring it into the next situation that you're involved with. Okay, so we tend to think um, we know what to do, but maybe we don't. Maybe we inadvertently do the wrong thing, or we believe that we need to, quote-unquote, make their pain go away or to fix them. That's another thing that is important to address. And I used to think that way myself, and, pr and probably that's a big part of why I do what I do, because I used to have a very strong fixer-helper part as my therapist would say, I have very strong fixing parts. <laughs> and that might be because of what I went through with my mom and her suffering when I was a child and growing up. And um, it's, a, it's a great quality. I think a lot of us who are caregivers and are first responders or in the service of helping others is a very um, not, it, notable and respectable thing. But it can get in the way, it can get kind of be over the top, you might say, where it actually hinders your own healing and, and interferes with your quality of life, you might say. So <clears throat> thankfully, I now fully have a better understanding that it's not my job, nor was it my job to fix someone. And instead, it's more about being with someone in their pain and suffering. And that's what I'm here to tell you as well. Your job is not to save someone or to fix someone. It's to be with someone. And being with has a different energy than fixing and saving because that makes it sound like you have a responsibility. And that if you don't do that, think for them. If they don't get better, then it's your fault. And then no one's winning in that situation. It's a lose-lose, right? So your job is to show up appropriately, which I'm going to talk to you about. So I'm going to share with you four key reminders or concepts here about how to navigate through this the next time you are trying to support a friend or family member so that you can feel confident that you're doing the right thing. All right. So the first one is what you might would call uh, empathetic listening or empathetic resonance. It has the flavor of 
I hear you and I see what's going on, right? When you're listening to someone talk about their pain, emotions, experiences, what do you feel? And this goes a little bit more deeply than just, I see your feelings, I see your struggle, but what are you feeling? That's the resonance part of it. Empathetic listening is one thing I hear you, but resonance is maybe even feeling what they're feeling. Not like that's your intention, but because you're really connected, you can really feel something from them. If you're an empath or a highly sensitive person, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not personally an empath. I think that's one of the things that has um, benefited me is that I don't take on people's energy like, I, like many people do and have a hard time disconnecting from it. So if they're dealing with um, a situation where they're feeling intense emotions, they can't really detach from it and move on into the next thing, but they're really absorbing that energy and it's really affecting them. So it's not like you really get to choose with that. It's kind of a natural innate thing, but it's okay if you are, but we need to be able to have a boundary here. And if you don't have that sort of highly sensitive um, experience, then, or you're not an empath, you can still feel something. I still do with clients and you can too. I'm sure you do. This is what happens when you're in a co-regulatory relationship. You feel something emotionally and physically as the person in front of you is in a state of dysregulation, right? So let me ask you this. Have you ever gotten triggered, emotionally charged up, or said something you regretted later? We've all done this when we are in conversation with people, probably. But when you are listening to someone disclose and share their pain in detail, there's a greater chance for one to react. In therapy, they call this counter-transference. It's actually what, happen, what happens here is when, when someone gets extreme with their behaviors and responds in irrational ways, that's counter-transference. Their own conflicts are activated. Their own, trigger, their own wounds are being reactivated because of the person in front of them is sharing things, doing things that reminds their brain of their own past experiences that are similar, if that makes sense. And so being aware of that is really critical because you can view someone in their pain and suffering, but be aware of your reactions and if it's because, and why are you feeling this way all of a sudden or, or choosing to respond in this way or act in this way because it may not be helpful for the person you're with. It's really about your reaction to the past because, and, and that's how people become our mirrors. They tell us where to look and why we need to look. It ultimately implies that there is work for us to do. Right? I even think of this in the context of kids. If your kids trigger you, and they're constantly triggering you, then they are your mirror. People show us where to look within ourselves. And I love this saying of, we get what we need, not what we want. So, it may not feel comfortable, but if you're getting this and you're seeing this happen, it's because it's what you need, even though you may not want it, okay? So, <clears throat> empathetic resonance, again, is just about feeling what someone else is feeling, but in a healthy way, and having a boundary of, okay, this is their energy, this is their feeling and emotion, I feel it, but it's not mine. 
you want to be able to see that difference. Number two is vulnerability. It's a obviously a very powerful quality. And in this sort of situation with two people discussing a stressful or traumatic event, there is vulnerability that's going to take place. But not being vulnerable is just as problematic as being overly vulnerable. That's why there's always the middle ground, right? To feel and share what's going on inside is a wonderful thing and healthy for us to do. But if you are listening to someone's vulnerability, okay, you're listening to someone in front of you share their vulnerability, and you respond in critical or judgmental ways, such as, well, how could you? Why would you ever do such a thing? I can't believe you did that. That's a problem, right? And the bigger problem now is when, I think, is when the person is disclosing, sharing something, and you respond maybe in a critical or judgmental way, such as that, again, maybe because you were triggered, and all of a sudden, that person you're talking to personalizes what you're saying. In other words, they take the criticism, the judgment, and the adverse reaction. So it's really important to be aware of that. Okay, it ties in a little bit to what I just said about empathetic resonance, but um, be aware of that because it's really important because we, listening and reflective listening and being a support system for someone is, there are, it's a very delicate thing. And of course, we're not perfect. We're all going to say things maybe that we shouldn't do or, or we regret or it wasn't, wasn't the best decision. But that's why you, you breathe, you take your time, you're reflecting, you're, you're, being, you're choosing your words carefully, okay? Because the, the, you do not want to make the situation worse. And we talked about this earlier, right? I want to make sure I don't make things worse. Well, this is why we got to be careful with what we say. Because if someone takes on what we say personally, we're only deepening the wounds for them. Okay? And number three is trauma is a violation of boundaries. And anyone who has been through trauma generally has an issue with boundaries because they were threatened, they didn't feel safe. And that's pretty much a common denominator here. Nearly every person with, will struggle um, with that, which is why safety is, again, another key ingredient here in supporting someone with their pain and suffering. That's the key to dissolving rigid boundaries and allowing space for, for them to open up and be free. Okay, We need to again, be that safe refuge for that person. But remember, we have to address our wounds too to fully be there for that person. So here's the question for you. Do you know what's yours, your energy, your emotions, and what's not yours when you listen to someone's pain? I just mentioned that. But what I want to say is, again, this all ties into what we're talking about today. But practice being a witness with curiosity. That is really the intention of where I go with somebody is how to be a witness, have a, have a curious mind. I like to play with a third person 
sort of perspective, like, oh, Justin isn't the one listening to this client, isn't the one working with this person or sitting with this person. I am consciousness. I am infinite love. I'm the witness observing Justin. Listen. It takes you out of it. It takes the I ego out of it. It's a practice, and it just helps you detach for a minute. And see how that works for you. But that way, you can start to not get so tangled up in the emotions of someone else if you really feel like you're taking it on. Um, there's a lot to it, and, and sometimes we need to do compassion for ourselves and these sort of things. But uh, at least try this, because we need to be able to have that boundary. I like to also think of it as you're in the movie theater watching yourself on the screen. You're watching a movie about you having a conversation or this character of you watch, having a conversation with this person who's in pain, right? The character in the screen is doing the actions, but you are coming from the energetic state of the witness observing. And that's a really good metaphor. So practice being the audience member who's watching this unfold. You're still doing what you have to do, but it's well, again, it's about the energy, the intention behind it of calmness, curiosity, beginner's mind in a non-attached way. So play with that. And when you also remember that it's not your job to fix or save anyone, this makes it a lot easier. In fact, what I just said helps you get away from that. And that's probably what has happened to me. So remember, people with trauma tend to hold rigid boundaries and are relationally guarded, lost, or dysfunctional relationships may have driven their trauma, but it's relationship and attunement that is needed to heal it. That's sort of the irony with this. Safety with another in a trusting, co-regulatory relationship is essential to dissolving rigid boundaries and allowing for room for connection and love. And you can be that for anyone anyone. And lastly, number four is providing a corrective experience. So there's certain themes with, with healing and trauma. Safety is one of them. Relationship is another. Relational attunement. And a corrective experience is like repair. It's about um, offering ways for someone to begin the unburdening process or to heal. doesn't mean fixing, doesn't mean you're saving their lives or you're making their pain go away, but we can point them in a direction that could be very, very helpful that they may not have gotten otherwise. So after you get past the listening and witnessing phase and that develops some connection, then there is an opportunity for repair and recovery. It doesn't mean you have to figure it out all in one day or figure anything out for that matter. And it isn't about you feeling obligated to do it at all. You shouldn't feel obligated to do it at all. But we want to do the best we can and show up the most powerful way that we can for this person. But reflect on this. Can you be there for the person in front of you in a healthy way, in a healthier way than what they are used to, right? Because if someone is not used to having someone be there for them and showing up for them in a very supportive and helpful way, 
in a nurturing way, well, can you do that for them? Are you doing it right now? Can you do it for them in a way that they haven't received or even in a way you haven't received yourself? Can you be the right support system for when there was none? And how could that look? That's the question. Pretty much with what I, what I just said. There's a little more to that that I could talk to you quickly about. So I said, the first thing being empathetic listening. I hear you. There's also the empathetic validation part of it, which is I, I kind of I see you and what you're struggling with and validating their experience and their pain is, is very critical. Okay, you definitely want to do that, even if they already validated themselves. And then there's a relatable empathy, which is I hear, I get you, I understand where you're coming from, I've been there, I know what it's like, very important. You may not have the same experience, but there might be similar feelings that you can relate with, and that's really what matters, because we all have shared experiences like that with similar feelings. And then the final part being compassionate empathy, which is kind of what I'm saying here about having a corrective experience, which is I got you, like I'm here to support you, and if you, know, if you don't do anything, at least you can give compassion, okay? There is a deep fear of trust in with someone who's been through trauma to, to trust, to connect again, but everyone desperately needs connection and love. We cannot be understood without relationship. We all need it. So what else can you do? What else can you do for repair or for recovery? And this is kind of the thing is that there isn't more for you to do, it's more about less. It's more about being, having a simplistic approach to this. Uh, and, and this is tough because sometimes we wanna do more and figure out a way to make it better and buy them this, and do this for them and schedule that for them. And yeah, maybe it's important, but don't overdo it. It's not really the idea. It's to realize that less is more and, hold, and holding space and compassion <laughs> and letting them know that they are seen and valued and supported and they have you there with them is really the best thing you can do to repair the wound. That's it. It's a silent understanding of healing. That's actually what it is. So the more you can stand in that infinite place of infinite love, of courage and confidence and connectedness and composure, and resilience. How you speak, your tonality, the words you choose that are nurturing and loving, that all is what matters, like a mother to a child. So if you can do that and come from that place, you won't have to do a whole lot, and you're actually doing the best thing you could possibly do for another person. All right, so that's what I got for you today. Uh, super quick and to the point. So I hope that was helpful for you. and. I would certainly love to know what you think. You can certainly reach out to me at Justin Janoska on Instagram. You can write me an email at Justin at the autoimmunerevolution.com. Let me know which of these grabbed your attention the most and if it resonated, if you found it helpful, and if you plan on using this. Also, if you would be so kind, I would greatly appreciate a review. Let me know what you think of the show, and I will see you next time on Autoimmune Revolution Radio. Have a beautiful day. Peace and love.